A popular outcast production. Episode 13 of Portable Power. I'm Kevin Seibert, and with me is... Emmer Smith. And Mark Matters. Today's date is December 8th, 2013, and uh, this is our special end-of-the-year episode where we're going to talk about um, some of the stuff that we really liked this year, because this was a great year as far as portable gaming went. So, all right, let's get this started. Um, Mark, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. I seem to have been sick pretty much every recording session of the past three months, but... Yeah, people are going to think that you have some kind of uh, non-existent immune system. <laughs> I I don't know what to say. I, I think kids have super diseases. I mean, you get, you, get, you get like a cold from another adult, and it's like, oh, I have a cold, and you can still go to work and all this stuff, but get a cold from like a toddler, and suddenly like you're bleeding from your eyes and like vomiting up your vital organs. I don't, I don't know why that is, but... He hasn't even gone to school yet. Wait until he starts bringing that shit home. Oh, man. Other kids' diseases are even worse than your own kids' diseases. Totally. Yeah, and I, I get more angry at them, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what are you playing that's uh, that's not portable? Uh, I've still been playing the first Mass Effect. A little bit of Pokemon, a little bit of Zelda. Wait, which Zelda? The ones I'm going to be reviewing. Oh, of course, of course. Alright, and uh, are you drinking anything tonight? I am. Um, I have actually black tea tonight um it's mostly actually um honey and lemons that i picked off my tree and the lemons off my tree are awesome they're super juicy and aromatic and they're like as big as your fist and they they, they're really lumpy and like craggy kind of like 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 a russian politician's nose (laughs) but (laughs) they're very nice for tea so i i am not imbibing this evening that sounds incredible though those sound like hipster lemons to me. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They actually have mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> like like the Russian politician's nose, even. <laughs> and, uh, Emrys, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Cool. And, uh, what are you playing that's not portable? So today I got this game, uh, Hotline Miami. Oh, yeah. On Steam. It was $2.50. And it's really good. It's really hard. But it's it's wonderful, brutal murder fun. Well, it's like an eight bit like original Grand Theft Auto type game, right? Yeah, it's sort of that graphical style. Uh, and instead of like, it's basically all the missions in Grand Theft Auto where you're not driving. You like break into somebody's house, murder everybody inside. It has a lot of interesting weapons and art for when you kill people. Huh? <laughs> they spray blood everywhere. Are there little like cutscenes or something? Yeah, yeah, there's little, like, they're they're mysterious, though. You don't really understand what's going on. It's kind of psychedelic, actually. It's really hmm. cool. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, are you drinking anything tonight? Not tonight, no. I'm, I'm Poe. It's even worse than being poor. <laughs> well, Kevin, yeah. are you drinking? I, I am, in fact, drinking. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying a little bit of, uh, festive, um, mead by, uh, Bunratty. Uh, Bunratty, I've been there. 
Oh, when you were in Ireland? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I brought back a little four-ounce container because that stuff's super expensive. Yeah, it's uh, it's not extremely cheap. I mean, I don't know. It's probably cheaper over here. Over there, it came like a ceramic jar, and it was $35. Mm. But Yeah, here, it's um, a bottle for um, $16. That's not bad. I almost... My planning for this episode involved me, mm-hmm. but when I got sick, I'm like, I'm not drinking. So yeah. we almost had a moment. There's a good local winery that makes mead. Which one? Awesome. I forget the name of the winery. It's called Moosehead Mead, though. Oh, okay. My parents love it. I think I've heard of it, but I, I haven't had it. So what games have you been playing? Well, I have been playing Super Mario U. New Super Mario U, right? Yeah, yeah, not... Um, not 3D World. No, that's that's on my Christmas list. I'm, I'm clearly a good adult. Well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know if you're really naughty or nice. If we judge it purely on this podcast, Kevin... I'm a terrible monster of a human being. Uh, you're the person that introduced me to the concept of adult babies, so... Well, yeah. <laughs> if I was Santa... Look, I'm not I'm not engaged in this behavior, and I'm not encouraging it. I, I believe right. it was in the context of saying how disturbing I think it is. There's some horrific fetishes out there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't really get, like, what's what's wrong with the normal ones? Like, you know, people with red hair or people with big butts. Like, those just seem, like, perfectly harmless. Imagine, like, coming to realize that you have a fetish and that it's a little bit depraved. Like, I think that would be, that'd be a, an awful experience. You know, I was listening to um, to Girls on Girls the other day, and they brought up amputation fetish, oh, which I didn't know was a thing, but now I realize that a couple months ago, I accidentally stumbled onto somebody's wank material. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, that's a podcast that um, I won't listen to. <laughs> My sister hosting a podcast that frequently talks about sexual material yeah it, in in fact she's starting another podcast that is solely about sexual material so you know i love my sister i want to support her but uh there's just some things you don't want to hear your family talking about these are part of our uh, popular outcasts uh, network as well so go ahead and check out our buddies over at girls on girls they get 10 times the amount of downloads we get <laughs> i'm sure they do only 10 their first, like, five episodes, they got literally 100 times the amount of downloads we got per episode. We're dudes. We basically talk about, like, the most impenetrable stuff if you're not, like, actively playing the same games that we are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm surprised that we get... We've been... We've actually, like, increased in numbers, and I'm just completely surprised that people listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> None of them write to us. That's the problem. We need to connect. Uh, them. That's how it goes. They need to email us. I don't know how much you want people to actually write to you, because if people feel strongly enough to write to you, it's usually bad. You know, I'm actually hoping that people write to us about their depraved fetishes, telling us that we're oh. ignorant and that we should be more <laughs> open-minded. I am. I will be the first to admit I am completely ignorant and I do not care. <laughs> I, I am happy to live in my small little world where people don't like to associate having sex with being a baby. That's just the world I want to live in. I don't oh, know. yeah. I, I mean, by, by that definition, I'm also ignorant. I wouldn't say I have a fetish, but I've often wondered what it would be like to have sex with a woman with one leg. From certain angles, it'd be very convenient. The, the angles, right? The mechanics of it would be interesting. 
but I'm 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 no fetishist. Well, good night, everybody. <laughs> this has been fun. <laughs> now on to Zelda. Let's talk about Zelda. <laughs> Let's make the world a happier place. Well, for this episode, um, I, I'm reviewing The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds, which came out just last month on the 3DS. For me, A Link Between Worlds is exactly like stepping into a time machine and being 13 years old again. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it, it felt so much like the first time I played through A Link to the Past, um, which is my favorite game of all time. The cool thing about it is it's the same Hyrule as A Link to the Past, but with little changes made here and there. So it, it kept me wanting to explore memorable locations just because it, it gave you, you know, the motivation to find out how certain key locations had changed in the game. Mm. The 3D is, is used really well. It gives a sense of depth to many of the dungeons, and it, it actually, you could, it, they use it to create depth puzzles. There, there's, for example, there's a mine in the game that you start at the top of and you're trying to descend to the bottom. And the depth perception in the game is key to, you know, going from one platform to the next without falling into a pit of lava. Because um, mm. I tried playing that in 2D mode, and it just really didn't work out so well for Link. Wow. But it, it, it also creates this scope of just the vastness of this mind, because you can see pretty much the entire way down. Like, that's what the depth perception does for you. So it's, it's really cool, the way they've incorporated the 3D into the game. The painting mechanic isn't gimmicky like Twilight Princess's wolf was, because I, I just I really hated that stupid dog. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it, necess- it necessitates thinking about um, solving puzzles in creative ways. Like there were a lot of times that I would get stuck, and something as simple as just merging into the wall would give me a whole new perspective on what I needed to do to solve that puzzle. And it was just really cool the way that they did it artistically because this is a really great looking game. And becoming a 2D wall painting is just another one of those neat little visual effects that it does. You know, it's funny. One of the few this game has universally been just acclaimed. Mm -hmm. And one of the few negative things I've been reading about it, though, are the graphics, which, to me, I'm looking at them, I'm going, okay, number one, they're completely effective, and they're exactly what they should be. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think they look bad from what I can tell. I haven't played the game yet. Like, I'm not going to say that it cutting new territory or anything like that. It looks like a 3D homage to A Link to the Past, and for me, that's what I want. If they did something that looked like Wind Waker or a Wind Waker tribute like the Minish Cap was, I wouldn't like it as much. And it's not because I didn't like Wind Waker's art style. I did like it, but it wouldn't feel like A Link to the Past. Now, if they had left it as the 16-bit sprites from A Link to the Past, I probably would have preferred that. Oh, wow. But I think that's more just nostalgia and not that because i i think that they pulled off the graphics very well from a technical standpoint and there was never anything in the game that i looked at and i was like oh my gosh that looks so bad well good because i have i've heard actually to the contrary in other reviews and i trust you more than i trust them so i'm glad to hear that see what what you 
what I enjoy about it is that it doesn't do anything that's completely over the top. Like, a lot of the... For example, when you go to the Dark World, you'll see a lot of the same enemies. And seeing them as 3D models instead of, you know, pixels, like, that's yeah. cool. Like, I think that... Yeah. It, it makes the characters have much better animations, and because they're just there's a wider variety of, you know, just things they do. Another thing that I thought was really great about it is that it cut out the lengthy beginning that's made up a lot of the newer Zelda games... Because that's, you know, the the two-hour beginning to Twilight Princess, and, you know, the fact that you're really five or six hours into Skyward Sword before you really get anywhere kind of yeah. made it tough for me to get into those games. In fact, I, I never finished either of them, probably for that reason, because, yeah. you know, by the time I got into the actual gameplay, I had already just played it so long that I was bored and frustrated huh. um so it, it's cool because like as fast as a link to the past got you into the game you get a psychic call from princess zelda and immediately you're in hyrule castle you know rushing to her rescue and mm. it, it's very it's a very similar start although not completely the same another thing that's cool is like instead of the essential items being in dungeons you find non-essential items in the dungeons what <laughs> it, it means that you have the option to not even collect something. Like, if, if a chest is in a difficult-to-reach location, and you're just ready to move on, you can be like, you know what, I don't even need this. Um, mm. But you'll want it. Yeah. Like, that's that's the fun of the game, is, you know, finding these these items. The attention to detail in this game, even down to the color of the Master Sword's blade as you upgrade it. Like, it's <laughs> exactly the same as A Link to the Past. It goes from, like, that... That, you know, aqua blue color to the fiery red to that ugly yellow when it's fully powered yeah. up. And, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I just thought that was a neat little attention to detail. The music in the game is gorgeous. It's mostly rearranged tracks from Link to the Past. Oh, boy. Yeah. But, like, it sounds <laughs> so much better than A Link to the Past. And that, had, that game had a great soundtrack, but Absolutely. this is just... It's one of the best gaming soundtracks I've ever heard. Like... What I will say is, play it with headphones, because if you don't, you're missing out on a lot. Wow. Like, there are just layers of the soundtrack that, that you completely miss out on if you listen to it through the 3DS's speakers. Another thing that's cool are the boss encounters are really innovative and fun. They're very similar stylistically to, like, the original Legend of Zelda and A Link to the Past, in that, you know, it's a top-down format, but they have certain traits of um, the 3D Zelda games where like each boss has a series of tricks whereas it's not just you have the right weapon and you beat them like the original game uh-huh. like you actually have you know you have to have the right weapon and like tricks there are a couple of negatives but I wouldn't even really consider them to be big deals at all basically two complaints uh, the first is it's a little bit on the easy side I only died once I wouldn't have minded um, if the game kept the difficulty approach on par with the original Legend of Zelda in the sense that like you could do you could mostly do those dungeons in any order for the most part yeah but like if you went to level eight before you went to level one you were in for a pretty rough time of it oh so they don't do that in this they story. do not do that in this not as far as I could tell that's interesting I don't know how I feel about that um it means that the game gets a little easier as you go but yeah because you get better at playing and you get better weapons it's more that you get um more heart containers because you can have like I had all of the items the essential like level progression ones I had all uh-huh. of those by like the second dungeon <laughs> like I just wow. rented them. I just went buck ass wild and you know found <laughs> rupees like crazy and rented every weapon and since since I only died once it really wasn't a big deal to have them all rented the uh, weapon rental system 
is a brilliant idea, and it's a really fun way to explore Hyrule in a nonlinear fashion. The difficulty's kind of a kind of a little disappointing, although it does make up for it with some clever puzzles that will, you know, keep you from like dashing through the entire thing. Now, in relation to the to the difficulty, though, there is hero mode. I don't know if you attempted this. I, I did not yet. Okay. In Skyward Sword, I, I started playing through hero mode before my save file got lost. It's it's a lot more difficult in the way the normal game should have been, I think. So I, I wonder if it's going to be that way this time around as well. It might be. I mean, there are definitely some enemies in this game that won't think twice about taking four hearts off of you in one hit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just not that, um, I never found anything to be that insurmountable. Like, I think I used one fairy in a bottle once, so that would have been two deaths if I hadn't had that. Sure. But it's still, like, nowhere near the difficulty of, like, the older Zelda games. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wasn't as into is the story never had the sense of urgency that A Link to the Past did. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Um... And it's not that the story was bad. In fact, at the end, like, the, the closing cinematic is really good. And it's really well done. And, like, it's satisfying. But throughout the game, and, I mean, this, this is probably difficult to do when you have a game that isn't linear. But, you know, there's just never this sense that, like, anyone's getting closer to domination of Hyrule. Or, you know, like, for, for example, in A Link to the Past, you know, you have been waiting for the moment that you get the Master Sword, and you pull it out of its pedestal, okay. and you're so excited, and then, like, the next screen you go to, suddenly Zelda screams that the soldiers are coming for her. And okay. you have to, like, rush to find her. Or you feel like you have to. It doesn't matter how fast you are, because you, sure. you can't save her. <laughs> but, like, there's that sense of urgency, and there was never that sort of feeling in A Link Between Worlds. But the gameplay makes it... Like, the gameplay is what makes you want to continue playing, not, not the story. So I find that to be forgivable. Yeah. So overall, like it does a lot of great new overhauls to the Zelda formula, the, the nonlinear progression, and the fact that instead of like arrows and bombs, like instead of them using you know arrows and bombs up when you use those, you have a stamina meter, which is all of your secondary weapons. It powers all of them. That's odd. It's I I wasn't sold on it until I actually started playing the game, but what it actually does is it encourages more strategic play. Like for example, there's uh-huh. some there's some enemies that have shields and it's you know you won't beat them in a sword fight. They'll just block everything you do and they'll kill you. Um so what that encourages you to do is like think of different ways to take them down and that means sometimes, you know, it means pulling out your fire rod and using it to burn their shield or using your hook shot to, like, yank their shield out of their hands. And you can throw bombs, you can bo- you can try bombs in all kinds of different areas, and it doesn't punish you for experimenting, because you don't run out of bombs and have to go cut down grass to find more. So it's, it's an interesting new approach, and I personally like it. I can see where people might not, but for me it worked very well. I never found that arrows and bombs were all that scarce in the old Zelda games, personally. You, you never played the first one, then? <laughs> oh, well, no. Not the original Zelda. In the original Zelda, you could ca- you could carry, at the start, a maximum of eight. You could only ever get up to 16. And uh-huh. it never marked a wall that you had to bomb. Everything was just pure experimentation. You're like, well, I can't go anywhere. I guess I have to bomb one of these 20 walls that could potentially <laughs> have a hole in it. That's ridiculous. Hey, um... So, in Skyward Sword, 
I felt that this was really an innovation, and I'm wondering if they added it to a link between worlds, um, an upgrade system where you can upgrade your weapons. Yeah, you can, you can do that. Well, the way they do that is, um, well, you rent your weapons, but you also have the option of buying them. Uh, uh-huh. And when you buy them, you don't lose them if you die. But what that also does is it gives you the ability to upgrade your weapons. There's this octopus character, and I can't remember what her name is anymore. I should have written it down. But she has these baby octopus things that are hidden all throughout Hyrule. That's both that's both Hyrule and Low Rule that these babies are hidden in. Low Rule's the dark world, basically? Yes. Okay. Um, and there are a hundred of them total, and for every ten of them you find, you can upgrade one of your weapons that you've purchased. Oh. And each weapon, there, you know, some of them are more drastically affected by leveling up than others. Like, the boomerang isn't really a big deal. In fact, I barely used it in this game, even after I upgraded it. But, you know, the the bow, when you upgrade it, you fire three arrows in a cone instead of in a straight line. Wow. It's like Contra style. The hook shot becomes much faster and actually deals damage instead of just stunning enemies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay. And the fire rod creates this giant pillar of fire that just, like, mows things down. <laughs> but it also takes up, like, half your stamina meter to use it. Yeah, so right. things are balanced pretty well. Did you find a particular technique worked best for you? Did you find yourself going back to the same weapons? It really depends on what situation you're in. Like they've they they did a great job of creating different situations where you use different combinations of weapons. So I, I found myself switching out weapons quite frequently, um, just to try new strategies. But yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts on a link between worlds. So it's good. It's very good. (laughs) I'm glad to hear you say the graphics are good. For me, that was the biggest draw from it. Really? From seeing the preview video. Yeah, they had a a preview video on the 3DS. Mm -hmm. It was all in 3D. And I thought the the graphics looked really great with the little bones that would fly into the air and all that stuff. Yeah. Hopping around from level to level. It seemed really uh, attractive and dynamic. Yeah, and well, that's, you know, that's why I like having the 3D on for this game, because it it just creates Mm -hmm. a sense of scale, and and the little details, like when when you shoot an arrow at an enemy and he blocks it with his shield, your arrow ricochets off and pops up out of the screen a little bit. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Oh, I hope Santa brings it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for not spoiling it. I'm sure some of our listeners appreciate it as well. It was really hard for me to to write to to do this review without giving any spoilers. Like I felt really bad when I accidentally gave away the blue tunic. Uh, that was a, uh, Kevin. Kevin posted a picture on Facebook with Link wearing the blue tunic, and I, as a joke, posted like, "Oh, blue tunic spoilers." <laughs> it's fine. Do we want to get into uh, our portable past now? Let's take a step back into our portable past. Do we get like the Doctor Who like time vortex sound for this? No, we're gonna get we're gonna get the Wayne's World. Yes. Well, today I'm here to talk to you about the Legend of Zelda as well. Step back in time with the Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. Uh, these games were developed sort of outside of Nintendo by a company called Flagship. 
um, a now defunct subsidiary of Capcom that Capcom, Nintendo, and Sega all sort of invested in. I played the eShop versions, which you can download on the 3DS for $6 a piece. Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons are two separate games. They were released simultaneously for the Game Boy Color in 2001. And you can play them independently of, of one another, but a pretty important feature of these games is how they link together via this password system. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can't even see the true ending of the, the I don't know if you want to call it a series, uh, without taking advantage of that feature. And, and this isn't like Pokemon, where you have two versions of the game that are pretty much identical. These are like two completely different games with different adventures altogether. The premise of, of these games, and I'm really going to try to be concise here because it's really mumbo-jumbo-y, but um, <laughs> the, the, the Zelda series hero Link finds a temple in the middle of nowhere, and he's mysteriously transported to the lands of Labrina and Holodrum simultaneously by the Triforce. And I have no idea how any of this really works, you know, Zelda logic, but in each of these foreign lands, some bad guys have plans to sacrifice these local oracles of ages and seasons to revive Ganon, the, the, the series villain, pretty much. Um, and for whatever reason, these, these bad guys have no interest in kidnapping the third oracle, the Oracle of Secrets, who's just hanging out right out in the open inside of the great Meku trees, waiting for any adventurer with a password to just come on by. He's not really good at being a secret. But <laughs> she is not good at being a secret. She is only good with with sharing them with people. Um, and she's completely useless if you don't have both versions of the game. That's perhaps why then she wasn't used. Actually, the reason is there were supposed to be three games, and they, they canned the third game, and so now only two of the oracles get kidnapped. So after the oracles are abducted in each of the respective lands, the flow of time or the flow of seasons become damaged. In the land of Holodrum, it goes from winter to summer in a flash. And in Labrina, bad guys are trying to change the past to sort of rewrite history. Um, It's a very basic way of putting it, but anyway. Um, The Oracle of Ages is considered to be the more puzzle-focused game, while Oracle of Seasons is said to be more action-based. But after playing both... I mean, I didn't really notice a difference. And at the heart of every Zelda game, that's sort of what it is. Action and puzzles. And right. I don't know. They're both typical Zelda games. Visually, the Oracle games look nearly identical to Link's Awakening DX, which was also released for the Game Boy Color. There's a lot of recycled visual assets from that game, like character yeah. sprites, background elements. Um, the interior designer of the dungeons is definitely the same person. And you'll encounter a lot of the same enemies that you fought in Link's Awakening uh, on the island of Koholint. Having said that, all in all, it still looks great to me. Um, Maybe I'm blinded by nostalgia. Uh, They're very much 8-bit style games. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when when you consider the hardware that they had to work with, Link's Awakening looked really good for an 8-bit game. It does, and it has a certain charm to its style. And... Flagship, the developer, created a lot of new assets as well, but they don't match up perfectly. Flagship's art tends to be a bit more stylized and cartoony than the stuff in Link's Awakening, so they just don't quite... You can tell what's new and what's old, basically. 
Well, assuming that you, you're looking for it. I, I, I remember playing Oracle of Seasons, and I never felt like it was distracting. The, okay. the art was different. So it, it might be if you're aware that they yeah. reused it, but uh, I don't remember ever going like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have the cartridge of um, Oracle of Ages, and I didn't I didn't find it to be that distracting either, honestly. Like, I, I thought that it looked basically as, as good as Link's Awakening, yeah. Right. Okay. They also added some hand-drawn stills for, uh, to sit in for cutscenes, and these also retain that very cartoony feel. They're very, like, Saturday morning cartoon anime-looking, um, but at least they give the games this slightly more cinematic feel. I prefer the art style, again, of Link's Awakening, because um, I just love that look of, like, old-school Zelda art that's in, like, the original Zelda instruction manuals and stuff like that. Um, but that's just personal preference. It, the graphics in the game are good. What it honestly kind of looked like to me, like a lot of those still images, I mm. thought that they looked kind of similar to um, the N64 Zelda games, like some of the concept art for those games. Huh. Sort of. Like, partic- particularly Young Link from Ocarina of Time. Okay, yeah, I, I, I see that connection. I think Ocarina is a little darker in just the overall style, mm-hmm. but I don't know. The Oracle games reuse a lot of audio assets from Link's Awakening as well, both music and sound effects. There are a few new tunes, but I found them to be mostly forgettable. Um, the soundtrack is it's effective, and it's pleasant overall, but there's no... There's no iconic, like, Ballad of the Windfish song in, this, in either of these games. Now, the controls, they feel a lot faster in the Oracle games than they did in Link's Awakening. I haven't done a side-by-side comparison, but I just played Link's Awakening a few months ago for this podcast, and I definitely feel like the Oracle games are a little faster and smoother. Probably because of the Game Boy Color. Perhaps. It could just process stuff a little bit faster. Yeah. Uh, switching items by hitting start still a pain in the butt, as is only having <laughs> two action buttons, but that's old school Zelda for you, like, I'm just too, right. like, I'm not gonna be able to look back once I play Link Between Worlds, because I'm assuming you can switch stuff on the touchscreen without pausing. Yeah, you can, after a certain point in the game, or okay. m- maybe before a certain point in the game, but, like, they give you a tutorial on how to do it. I personally didn't really find it that necessary to do, because I like to think about my item choices, and they give you two action buttons for um, for secondary weapons. How does it compare with uh, with um, Link's Awakening as far as the frequency with which you have to switch out? Because uh, Link's Awakening, you just switch yeah. out every couple of screens, and it really interrupted the gameplay. No, it, it's really invasive like that. There are a few puzzles that you're just switching back and forth constantly, and it gets to be a pain in the butt. I don't know. At their core, they're nearly identical to Link's Awakening. It's a, it's a top-down 2D Zelda. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same gameplay elements, even those side-scrolling platforming portions, uh, have been carried over from Link's Awakening. And a lot of the same items have been retained as well. Your bracelets in there, the feather, the shovel, and so on. One interesting new mechanic, though, is the ring system. There are 64 rings in the game that you can collect, and you get them from opening a chest or talking to an NPC or whatever. Um, You can only equip one ring at a time, but there's a lot of really nice effects, like stat adjustments, healing, immunities, transformations, and stuff like not falling through cracked floors, not sliding on ice. It's a really welcome addition and adds some light 
RPG elements to the games, and I really liked the the, the ring system. Can't you upgrade the rings too, or like? You can upgrade certain items. I don't know if you can upgrade any of the rings. I, I, I don't remember that being able to do that. I remember like I feel like I remember farming for rings somehow. Maybe I'm just thinking of normal exploration I did with them. Maybe yeah. I I, I mean I I feel like other rings just. You know, one might increase your health by five percent, and then you find another right. ring and it increases your health by ten percent. Like right, I don't yeah. think they're actually upgradable in themselves. Okay. Uh, there, there is a ring that if you find it, you uh, your your sprite is replaced by the original Link sprite from the first Legend of Zelda. Really? That's, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. There's a, there's a couple transformation rings. You can be a Moblin, a like like. The big thing about these games, the changing the seasons or changing the timeline, depending on which game you're playing. They're cool ideas, but aside from creating some new puzzles and I feel maybe artificially creating difficulty in a few backtracking sections, I never fell in love with it. Um, you can only activate these features in designated locations, of course. And, I don't know, it's cool to see areas of the game rendered in different ways. Yeah. You know, where a body of water might be impossible to swim across in the summer... In the winter, it's frozen, and you can just walk right over it. Or right. in uh, Oracle of Ages, you might find the ruins of a temple, and if you go back to the past, that temple is still standing. Um, it's cool, but I just never felt like there was this be-all, end-all moment. And this is coming from a guy who liked being the wolf in Twilight Princess, and I, I liked driving the train in Spirit Tracks. I liked driving the train, too. I think it's an interesting way to manipulate the overworld, which is something that Zelda sort of hinges on in a lot of ways, like the Dark World and um, A Link to the Past. Um, so I, I remember really enjoying the changing the seasons. Yeah, the seasons I felt was the better game and was the more effective, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, gimmick, you know? Uh, Oracle Ages, I didn't, traveling through time wasn't as, as, as cool as I thought it would be. It made good use of the color, too. Uh, I remember seasons had really interesting color. Like, autumn would be orange and red, and mm -hmm. winter would be blue. Yeah, it's very distinct yeah. in that way. Which was, which was at the time, it was pretty great, because it was the Game Boy Color. <laughs> no, more, no more black and white screen. So I remember really being impressed by that. Yeah, it's funny, though. They came out the same year as the Game Boy Advance. So they were yeah. quickly, quickly swept under the rug, I feel like. But... Um... They knew the Game Boy Advance was coming out, and if you play these games on the Game Boy Advance, there's an exclusive item shop. Yep. Another thing about Seasons that's awesome, the first seven bosses of Seasons are the original bosses from the first Legend of Zelda game, in the same order, and I thought that was a really nice little homage. So, Aquamenus, Dodongo, um, Manhandla, and Gliok? Yeah, the first seven. Oh, the first seven. Yeah. And uh, they're only the last couple... Because there's, what, eight dungeons, and then the end boss. So yeah, there's only, I think, like two bosses that aren't from the original Legend of Zelda. Wow. Yeah, and I think they did it because the Oracle Project originally started out as they were going to remake the original Legend of Zelda for the Game Boy Color. And I wonder if they got to a certain point, and they already had these bosses created, and then they scrapped it in favor of this what was originally called the Triforce series, which evolved into the Oracle series. 
I always kind of wondered why Gliok was never in another game, because he was really cool. Gliok is which one again? The the multi-headed dragon. That, like, you oh, cut his yeah. heads off, and, like, you, you attack his heads, and then his heads get cut off and start flying around the room attacking you while you fight the other heads. Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, it's funny, because sometimes they reuse bosses, and you don't even realize they're the same boss in another game sometimes. Well, they, <laughs> they've reused Dodongo ad nauseum. Uh, he's only been in, what, three games? He was in the original Legend of Zelda, he was in... Ocarina of Time, and this one. I, I feel like every Zelda game has the snake that you have to hit it in the tail. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Moldorm. Moldorm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are quite a few that have him. Certainly all of the Game Boy games, including these two, I think. A Link uh, to the Past and A Link Between Worlds. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he was in Wind Waker, too. Was he? Well, there was there was the there was Ganon was like throwing balloon oh, bosses. He was definitely right. one of those. Yeah, that was a little different. You had to hit him with light arrows, which was really annoying because I kept running out of magic. <laughs> it was like all the light arrows. In this game, you can ride a Dodongo. <laughs> How does that work out? They're flesh-eating monsters. There's one that's friendly and he talks. Just don't even worry about it. Uh, there's actually <laughs> there are three mounts in these games. There's the Dodongo, a kangaroo who can jump over holes, and there is a oh, yeah. bear that flies. I don't even know what's going on there, but there you go. Some um, extra psychedelicness. Yeah, like I said before, you probably want to get both games because there is linked content. If you beat one game, get the password, and start the other game. Uh, there's exclusive content. You can only get the true ending if you've played through both games consecutively. And this feature is carried over to the Virtual Console? Yes. Cool. It's just a password system, so it's very it's a very easy thing. Right. Mm-hmm. The only thing that wasn't carried over to the Virtual Console is the Game Boy Advance shop, because there's no way to yeah. recreate that. But the linked content, there's extra dungeons, exclusive items, unique character interactions and storylines and quests... Exclusive mini games, including a Donkey Kong esque sequence, um, <laughs> yeah, and then a unique end boss and ending, which I don't want to spoil it for you. But Zelda and Ganon show up only once you've played through both games. Pretty much, if you only play through one of the games or you play them both without linking them, um, you get the equivalent of an old school NES, like ah, try harder next time kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Except instead of try harder, spend more money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spend six more dollars. <laughs> Interestingly, the true ending of the game, once you've defeated Ganon, Kevin, you'll appreciate this, shows Link waving goodbye as he boards a boat to sail off uh, into the ocean. Love it. This is a prequel to Link's Awakening. Yeah, that's go. why he was on a boat. <laughs> like, like T-Pain? He's on a motherfucking boat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, at the end of the day, if you need some old-school Zelda love and you already finished Link Between Worlds, I can recommend downloading these games. I still think Link's Awakening stands as the definitive classic handheld Zelda game, but these are still really good games, and yeah, six bucks. Twelve bucks, really. How, how long is Link Between Worlds, by the way? How long did it take you to beat it? Um, I put 25 hours in. Not bad. Not bad, but I... Did like I did find all 100 of the you know the little squid baby things. Oh wow! Which is completely optional. Like if you just 
do the necessary stuff, I could see it being probably like 15 hours. Okay, that's about on par with the Oracle games. They're about 15, 20 hours a piece. Mm-hmm. Not like Skyward Sword and it's 36 to 45 hour quest. I got 10 <laughs> hours into that game and I quit. I hate you. <laughs> I can't believe you quit a Zelda game. I quit Twilight Princess. Ugh, really? I love both of those games so much. I definitely finished Twilight Princess, but I don't remember much about it. It was okay. I, I liked it a lot. The tone was... It's even darker than Ocarina of Time. It's just so good. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I did like the tone. And me, like, this is going to sound really weird, dungeons are my least favorite part of Zelda games. So all this stuff you've been saying about, oh, it takes forever to, to get to the dungeon or whatever in a Zelda game is cool by me because I just want to, like, get to know the world and look around a little bit and, you know, character interactions and story. and So the more of that they throw in there, I'm fine with it. I do remember liking Midna a lot. Okay, but here's the, here's the thing. Like, I'm not saying that I want to spend every second in a dungeon because, like... I love overworld exploration. What I don't like is the opening two-hour tutorial where you have to wander on forever trying to get a sword doing random odd <laughs> jobs for people. Yeah, all right. That's just how adventure games always start. It's, it's, it's like a plague. I feel like I have better things I could do with two hours than a bullshit tutorial for a series that I've played every iteration of. <laughs> Dress up like a baby and have somebody... Never mind. <laughs> a bridge too far there uh, a bridge yeah, too yeah. far besides isn't that what Mario and Luigi do in the Yoshi's Island games they certainly do oh. shave off their awful. mustaches <laughs> it's awful So, this is our last episode of the year. Yeah. So, we're going to do a little retrospective here on 2013 in portable gaming. I thought that this year was a really strong year. This has been really the year of the 3DS. Like, this has been pretty much every month has had a game that I have absolutely wanted to play. Yeah. And it's really destroyed my social life. <laughs> people don't call me anymore i never had a social life so it's all been good for me they are overrated doesn't animal crossing count as a social life yes <laughs> sometimes those animals would really make me happy they're just be so happy to see you and they're like say something nice about you you're like yeah i am a really nice person i didn't get that kind of greeting <laughs> from my wife when i got home from work so <laughs> i'm joking <laughs> so what we kind of wanted to do was um, go over the last year in gaming and give out some awards for games that we thought were pretty noteworthy. Yeah. So I guess, do you guys want to start off with um, best visuals? Sure. All right. Let's do it. So it's important to note that uh, we didn't, we're not giving out a category for best graphics because that would completely rule out any mobile game. 
in favor of the 3DS because it's just a much stronger system. Well, I don't know. Have you played Infinity Blade 3? It looks like a PS3 game. Oh, really? That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those games are ridiculous. Well, I haven't played it, so I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> we're only, we're only, uh, only games that we have played are eligible to win this, so right. that's our little disclaimer here. All right, yeah. so best visuals is more of a critique of art style and the way that a game just you know used that to enhance the experience, like to really bring you into the world of the game that you were playing. Mark, did you want to go first? Didn't play a lot of portable games this year, so my award is going to go to Project Cross Zone for its battle sequences because those their little pixel sprite graphics rendered in three dimensions, like their layers, and it was just so much fun to watch that unfold. My honorable mention would be the battles in Pokemon X, uh, but overall there was no game that like made me flip my lid. Yeah, I had considered Pokemon for this category, but um, just the lack of 100% 3D support yeah. kind of knocked it down a notch for me, um, because uh-huh. it, it did create a lot of visual inconsistencies. Yeah. All right, so uh, what about you, Emrys? I gave this award to Animal Crossing. Oh. Um, because I felt like the um, the graphics were... The visual style is just really compelling. Um, I liked all the, the details and the, and the animals' clothes and how they, like, change shirts and stuff. I, I, I really liked the, the, how your character looks, you know, with the different outfits and the different facial expressions and emotes. Yeah. I just overall was really... Um, absorbing, immersive is the word I'm looking for, to like get you into caring about the dumb little guys and <laughs> yeah. the lawn Definitely. and all of that stuff. So I thought Animal Crossing, and it was really, it was really memorable. Uh, I like decorating stuff. And- Animal Crossing was my other runner-up for this category for the exact reasons that you just that you just stated. My my winner uh, for best visuals was uh, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. Uh, um, just uh, the way that game created an, an you know haunted atmosphere, and it its use of lighting and just you know the overall look and feel of it was just perfect. Like that for me, it, it was it was a very clear winner. Yeah, my runner-up was um, Frozen Synapse actually on the phone. Yeah. It's just such a bare style, but it's really, really strong design. Art styles and, and conscientious graphic like decisions go along mm-hmm. with it. Exactly. Yeah. Alright, next category is Best Soundtrack. Mark, did you want to go again? I don't have one, to be completely honest. Nobody's, nobody's games impressed me with their soundtrack this year um, of, out of the games I played. The closest I got to it was Link's Awakening, but that doesn't count. <laughs> you can still make that your word at that. Why not? Yeah, there you go. Congratulations, <laughs> Nintendo. 20 years ago, you made an awesome soundtrack. Ballad of the Windfish. <laughs> oh, yep. still brings tears. <laughs> All right, what about you, Emrys? For this year, my uh, best soundtrack award goes to Pinball Arcade because it reproduces those sounds and sound effects and music from the arcade machine so perfectly mm. that it, it, it's it's just wonderful to to get back into playing like your favorite table and everything is there that you want it to be particularly like mars attacks was my favorite table and so it's just great to be able to play that whenever i want yeah i bet if you played that one with headphones it would be a trip yeah yeah 
it is really cool, like especially if the the soundtrack for that can can take you like back into like feeling like you're actually in the arcade doing that. Like that's that's really yeah, that's really neat. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, for me, this was an easy category. Best soundtrack was easily A Link Between Worlds. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to really talk about it more because I already talked about it this episode. But yeah, like I mean, that soundtrack was just ran away with that. Yeah. All right. Um, next, we're gonna do best story. Mark. <laughs> Project Crosso. Oh my gosh, was that really the best story you played this year in portable gaming? Um, no, but it's not like it's not like Pokemon's was life changing either. This is another category where, due to my lack of uh, funds and not buying a lot of games this year, um, I don't really have one for. So it, I'm giving the award to Project Crosso. Man, that game had a terrible story. I know. <laughs> the worst worst writing in any game ever, maybe. No, it had very convincing old lech hitting on young schoolgirl dialogue. Yeah. How about you, Emrys? I gave this award to Oregon Trail Ooh. Um, because of Scott Kurtz <laughs> sitting on the med kits and breaking them, and then eventually turning into a zombie and being shot in the face. <laughs> that is really cool that, like, a game creates its own story as you're playing it. Like, it's not a predetermined yeah. story. It's never the same story twice. I really like games that um, let me develop a narrative. Mm-hmm. I almost gave this one to Tamagotchi, actually, <laughs> because it had such I had such a rich interaction with my, with my Tamagotchi in terms of hating it. <laughs> But, but to me, the story developed most thoroughly in, uh, in Oregon Trail. All right. Well, for me, best story in a handheld game that I played this year was Dumb Ways to Die. Oh, what? <laughs> we all have... Oh, okay, go on. <laughs> all right. Well, what I liked about it was similar to the reason that Emrys gave Oregon Trail the, the same award. was like It left just enough out that I could create my own narrative. It it cre- it gave you just tiny 10-second snippets of every character's story. So let me fabricate reasons as to why this guy's head was on fire and why he was stepping out in front of a train or why he was eating a really old unrefrigerated pie and getting sick. I just I I, I liked the the way it left storytelling up to you but i I also liked the actual story of the game where it started out as a public service announcement that turned into a game and if you check it out i i booted it up again for old time's sake like a couple weeks ago they've added new mini games to it oh yeah okay so it might be worth giving it a second chance all right i might just do that awesome yeah. I, I will say that I did have The Walking Dead in this category, and then when I found out that it was released last year because my memory sucks, I, I didn't have anything else to put here. So <laughs> I did try, but I failed. Well, we appreciate your effort. <laughs> All right, next category is Best Game I Didn't Get Around to Reviewing. Mark? That would be Quiz RPG. Uh, the timing just never worked out for me to review this game. And meanwhile, I'm having so much fun playing it. It's it, it's like three genres in one. You got your role playing aspect, you have your CCG aspect, and then you have contemporary trivia, all combined into this amazing game. I I cannot recommend this game more. This is the best review I'm going to be able to do for it because it's a few months old now at this point. 
but it is so much fun. All right, and uh, what about you, Emrys? The best game that I haven't reviewed yet is uh, Star Traders RPG for the Android. It's a weird space simulator game. It's like a 4X game mm-hmm. that I uh, that I play a lot of, where I used to play a lot of it, but I haven't touched it in a while, pretty much since doing the podcast. But it's it's just a great it's a great RPG game. I like to uh, play as a pirate, and you go to a, a planet nearby your starting world and just raid ships for money. And it has it has a great story to to it also because you basically develop your own relationships with different factions and you get in trouble with some of them and it, it's very uh, emergent, you know, and it's really hard. I remember one time. I was doing really well. I was trying to get an achievement, because achievements unlock new ships, new starting ships. So I was trying to get an achievement where you have to last for a really long time, and I stepped into one square of unexplored space, and I got hit by, like, this giant alien (laughs) craft (laughs) that chased me down and destroyed me. I'm going to have to review that at some point. Alright, well, I did not have anything for this category, because I reviewed everything that I played... It's, yeah. what, it's what comes of my focus mainly being 3DS and dropping $40 a month. I'm not going to drop that much money <laughs> on something that I'm not going to play for the show. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. All right, well, moving on. Um, best Nostalgia. This being, you know, the, the, best, the game that brought out the fondest memories um, and that we enjoyed replaying the most for the Our Portable Past segment. All right, Mark? I think the answer is obvious here. Link's Awakening. I mean, if you just listen to episode one and you and me ramble on and on and on and on and on about it, <laughs> if, you, if you can stand listening to that, because I think we say the same five things about the game for half an hour. But <laughs> <laughs> The music, I understand, was pretty good. It's yeah. <laughs> Did we say that? Did we tell you how good the music was in I, Link's Awakening? I think it, I think you may have mentioned it. I feel like we covered that twenty-seven <laughs> times. All right, Emrys. Uh, for me, nos- nostalgia went to Tamagotchi. That was one of my favorite reviews to do. I put a lot of work into it, and just playing that game, it was very annoying, but uh, it was interesting to like get the experience of that. 90s keychain toy and figure out what what had people so hooked about it yeah and realize that it was actually just a frustrating series of tasks and chores <laughs> well it wasn't just that it was annoying but it was also that the tamagotchis themselves were hideously disgusting <laughs> <laughs> all right um i actually had a really hard time with this category huh. and i think that honestly I probably have to give this to Pokemon Red. Wow. Um, <laughs> just because as I was thinking about like Link's Awakening caused some pretty severe beer weeping in me, but Pokemon Red, I just, I think I just have, like, the memories I have associated with that game mm-hmm. are far stronger, just because I put so much time into it, you know, collecting all the monsters and trading with people at college and, like, Link battling and just everything that game did. And then, you know, revisiting it um, two episodes ago and going on my Zubat rant, like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, like, that was... I'm not saying that I think it's a better game than Link's Awakening. I, I still think Link's Awakening is a better game, but I think that 
I probably have more memories associated with Pokemon Red, and a lot of that has to do with the multiplayer aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that and the fact that like Emerus and I would, at parties that we went to, we would just sit in a corner and not talk to anybody <laughs> trading Pokemon. <laughs> that is an absolute fact. Sitting w- in proximity to each other that's not really acceptable for teenage guys to be, be, due, due to the limitations of the link cable yep we were sitting way too yeah. close to each other i i remember that you're back in pennsylvania now you guys been hanging out well not as much as you'd expect yeah um, i'm gonna have to do that soon though we do we went to mike's no mic open mic last weekend yeah yeah that was amazing yeah that was fantastic yeah emerson did some stand-up it was great oh man i'm gonna do more all you have to do is do your Tamagotchi review and you win fans. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, it's time to, uh, before we get on to Game of the Year, we're going to do a couple of... Um, Dubious honors. Yes. First category for that is Bleeded the Fastest. <laughs> Mark? For me, I hate to say it was Dumb Ways to Die. Um, it's sad because <laughs> I played games that were far worse for a much longer period of time. The problem with Dumb Ways to Die is it's really fun, and then it's over. And there's just not enough content to keep me going. So wait, you mean to tell me that you played Dumb Ways to Die for a shorter period of time than Star Wars Force Collection? Yes. Oh my gosh, I don't know you anymore. (laughs) Uh. Well, I could see everything I wanted to see in Dumb Ways to Die in under an hour. With Force Collection, I played that for several hours because... If I'm going to berate a game and rip it apart, like I want to know the ins and outs of it. Mm-hmm. So I, ha- I drag myself through that mire just so I can know every th- little in and out. I've never been that responsible in my negative reviews. <laughs> All right, uh, what about you, Emrys? Uh, the, fa- the game that I deleted the fastest was definitely Tamagotchi. <laughs> as soon as I did that review, I couldn't wait to get rid of those notifications and just basically kill my little critters. Just end the cycle. Did you do it with a song in your heart? I did. I still don't miss it. I uh, may have given away my award for this category, but Star Wars Force Collection. (laughs) It was on my phone for about 15 minutes before I decided it was some seriously awful bullshit and I deleted it. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty awful. Yeah, that might have been the worst game I played this year. If we had a worst game of the year, that'd probably be it, yeah. It was. It would if we had a category for most disappointing. That would also take most disappointing. Yeah. But we don't have that category. But we can we can add it in right now. Was it the most disappointing game we played this year? Yes, it was. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another negative category we're doing: best worst use of in-game purchases. Oh man. Mark. Well, Star Wars Force Collections up there because you can't get anywhere in that game without them. But also Injustice. God's Among Us. It's basically mm-hmm. slog or pay not to slog. Um, I think <laughs> the better solution is smash phone. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't imagine playing that game for the number of hours you would need to unlock Superman. It's disgusting. All right, what about you, Amaris? Uh The worst use of in-game purchases, I went and gave it to Pinball Arcade because it's really addictive, and they sell them in packages. And the, the, the tables are expensive, though. It's like 9 $5 for just, like, basic stuff, and $9 if you want, like, more than one table at once. It's it's rough. 
if you really like pinball, it'll it'll eat it'll eat your uh, your allowance. Yeah. For me, the best worst use of in-game purchases was Mega Man X for iOS. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you for it that It negates one. half the gameplay, because you don't have to do any level exploration yeah. at all. There's no reward for, you know, going off the beaten path in the game. You can just pay, um, I believe it's $5, and get every single upgrade, like the arm cannon, and all, you know, the helmet, and the armor, and all the health upgrades, and the sub-tanks. And at that point, it's really just an extremely basic, you know, run-and-jump game. With awful yeah. controls. Yeah, that's like half of the Mega Man philosophy was getting getting those working hard to get those upgrades. That and like starting the game out with the all those upgrades just <laughs> yeah, makes the game stupid. way too easy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I don't know if this was a joke or not, Mark. Is best female role model a real category that you wanted to do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to give Project Cross Zone more kudos for that. Okay. <laughs> All right, because well, I, I was going to give it to me, Koryuji. Oh my gosh. Hey, she is a strong, independent woman who... Well, she has a lot of lower back strength, apparently. Yeah, her lower back strength is what I was <laughs> referring to. I don't know, she's really, she's really good at keeping her tutor out of her pants. <laughs> what? All right, All right. so I guess um, now it's time to move on to uh, Game of the Year. Mark? Oh, gosh. Just uttering these words. The, the me from six months ago is time-traveling to punch me mm. in the neck. <laughs> Pokemon X and Y. Yup. This is this game is, to me, what all handheld games should be. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of hours worth of content here. Every feature in the book thrown at the game, and yet you can play this game in tiny little chunks, in line at the supermarket, on the bus, on the toilet, whatever. It's it's the perfect handheld game. Well said. How about you, Emrys? I also gave it to Pokemon Y. I've put over 200 hours into that game, and it's still in my DS. And I look at it, and I think, man, I could, I could go for some Pokemon. Yeah. But then I don't really know what to do. Like, I, I, I want to breed a competitive Pokemon team, but that's just impossible. So I've sort of, I, I've sort of run out of things that I feel capable of doing, but not things that I want to do. Yeah. And I, it's just like, it's just an internally rewarding experience to play Pokemon, in my opinion. It's so, there's so much depth. It was just, Pokemon X and Y were just so well designed. The only thing I can say that I didn't like about Pokemon Y is Lumos City. It's horrible to navigate. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I just take a taxi any anytime I want to go somewhere. It's so expensive to take a taxi. Yeah, but they haven't made money scarce. Yeah, do the battle chateau. I have like a million dollars and no big deal. Yeah, I like if it were the older Pokemon games, I would be much more reluctant. But like I, I'm way I'm weighing in game currency against my time. Yeah. Right. And I value my time much more than play money. Well, I've I've learned to navigate it on my bicycle well enough that I can get to the three places that I usually frequent without getting lost. But have you done any of the any of the looker stuff? Yeah, I finished I finished the looker quests. I did the first one and didn't start the second. You need to explain what this is. It's a 
after you finish the game, you'll get a, a hollow message from this weird guy called Looker. I'm not sure what you have to do to trigger it, because it took a while before it started up for me, but you just hang around in Luma City and he'll call you and be like, hey, I have work for you. And there's a weird side quest about friendship. There's also speculation that he is the Tenth Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) He does sort of look like David Tennant a little bit. I'll have to look into that. (laughs) Alright, well... Kevin? Game of the year. Pokemon X and Y does not get a hat trick. Oh, no. a link between worlds. Oh man. Oh yeah. Pulling out the last minute. Well, for me, it wasn't like I I seriously considered still giving it to Pokemon X. But when I weighed Pokemon X against A Link Between Worlds, A Link Between Worlds was just about as perfect as a game gets. And it doesn't have as much content. It isn't nearly as long or as replayable as Pokemon X and Y. Mm-hmm. But what is there is just so unbelievably well done. I mean, this is a game that I've wanted to play for 20 years now. Mm. And it's out. And it's fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it <laughs> it edged out over Pokemon X and Y for me. I'm glad you're satisfied. Well, I apologize to all the people that got the awards. We don't have anything physical to give you, and you'll probably never hear this. But congratulations anyway. It's, it's it's bragging rights. We're a bunch of cynical assholes. So any any kind of praise that we that we give them is the very best kind. Yeah, That's true. And our opinions are important because we're important people. All right, and there's one final award. This is the uh, what we anticipate most for next year. Whether this be an actual real thing that we know is happening or things that we hope happen at some point during the next year. Mark, do you want to lead off? The, the only thing that I'm looking forward to that I know about is Bravely Default for the 3DS. Um, I am looking forward to Smash Brothers, but mostly for Wii U. Bravely Default, well, from what I hear, is just an amazing RPG, and pretty much the next Final Fantasy game had the Final Fantasy people never strayed from uh, where they should have been. All around, everything about it has me so excited. This is my uh, biggest boner for 2014. <laughs> All right, uh, Emrys, what about you? The thing that I am probably most looking forward to is Hearthstone for mobile platforms. It's a very aggravating game. I was playing it today, and I kept losing. I've just been on a huge losing streak, and it's driving me mad. But <laughs> it just makes you feel like everything that you do is dumb. Like, you're bad at deck building, and you're just bad. <laughs> bad. You suck. <laughs> when you lose, like, eight games in a row to the same silly bullshit... But I can't. I, I can't wait for more opportunities to play it. Apparently, I believe it's been announced for more platforms as well, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, they. I know they recently announced it for Android. I heard iOS, but I'm, it's probably iPad. I doubt it'll make it on the phones. Yeah, tablets. I, I think yeah. it's tablets for both of them. But uh, I knew it was announced. It was announced for iOS. And Kevin, what are you looking forward to in 2014? I am looking forward to, as far as confirmed things, Bravely Default. That, yeah, that game looks amazing and sounds amazing. So, I don't know, only, what, two more months to wait? February something, yeah. As far as, as, far as speculation, like, as far as what I, what I would, like, what would make me the happiest to hear is The World Ends With You 2. Oh, 
Oh my gosh! Yes, always yes. Yeah, I just <laughs> I keep waiting to hear something about that because like, what well, that that first game came out in like two thousand eight, and that was my favorite DS game probably. Yeah. And just like no words on no word on a sequel yet. That's unfortunate. I can't believe it too. I know. It's so good. It was, oh my gosh, it was amazing. That's about it for this episode. Well, we do have one more thing for the year in review. We have a little surprise at the end of this episode. <laughs> 2013 being the year of Luigi, we're sending Luigi off in the best way we can, I think. So you'll just have to listen all the way through the episode to, uh, to hear what we have in store for him. <laughs> but yeah, you know, a little something for uh, my favorite character from Super Mario Bros. 2. And we do appreciate it so much, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, do the uh, housekeeping stuff. If you go to our, our website, portablepower.popularoutcast.com, if you click on the purple Amazon banner, that is after you've cleared your cookies, and then go and uh, do your last-minute Christmas shopping, using that banner gives the Popular Outcasts um, a, little bit of, a little bit of the cut at yeah. no extra charge to you, and it helps uh, pay hosting costs, because uh, hosting podcasts isn't cheap. It also gets fine oils for Bill's beard and stuff like that. It would be a crime if that, if that excellent gentleman didn't have oils for, for that fine beard. And they have made it so easy. Like, literally on the main Popular Outcast page, there's a big purple block that says the Amazon banner. You cannot miss it. Yeah. Um... Alright, also, if you want to send us an email, portablepowerpodcast at gmail.com, Facebook, facebook.com slash portablepowerpodcast, um, and Twitter, at portablepowerfm. Like us, follow us. Rate us and review us on iTunes. Yeah. And email us, requests. Um, let me know if I made you mad because you're an adult baby. <laughs> 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 you big baby. You can let him know, and he will proceed to not care at all. But at least we'll know no. that you're butt hurt about it. I'm, I'm not one. I'm not one for political correctness because I believe it is a slippery slope into douchebaggery. <laughs> but that's just me. Anyway, <laughs> we aim to displease. January first, we'll be back with. Well, we're not quite sure. We think we're going to have an interview with Josh from Crescent Moon Games. We'll see if we can get that out in time. Should be pretty exciting. Uh, Crescent Moon is a, a developer and publisher of iOS games with a high level of polish on them, so should be pretty exciting to find yeah. out how a pro does this. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and we'll see you all next year. Yeah, thanks. Have a, have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas. And drive safely.
It most likely a level one Superman who then, you know, by that point in the game you're at like level twenty or whatever. So who gets crushed in between Catwoman's tits? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did I cross a line there? No, no. <laughs> I just want to. I just imagine the fan art of that. <laughs> it exists. Trust me. I know. I'm sure it does. <laughs> I don't even need to Google it.